This is the Innovation Engine podcast from Three Pillar Global, your home for conversations with industry leaders on all things digital transformation and innovation. Welcome back to the Innovation Engine podcast. I'm your host and Three Pillars Chief Evangelist, Scott Barrow, and I'm joined today by Matt Brandon. Matt is the industry leader for Three Pillars Technology Vertical, where he helps clients drive new revenue growth, reduce risk, and ensure strategic digital innovation. His decade of partnering with technology companies allows his team to drive real business outcomes in a highly competitive and rapidly changing ecosystem. Before Three Pillar, Matt led the North American growth engine for Caligo, a data and analytics company, and managed a team at Gartner within the marketing communications and customer experience practice. He supported Gartner's acquisition of CEB and partnered to drive change management and business continuity strategies. Matt, welcome to the Innovation Engine. Thrilled to have you on today. Yeah, thank you, Scott. Uh, as they say, longtime listener, first-time caller. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to dive in. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, well, the, your space is there's a lot going on in your space right now, so yeah. this is uh, this is timely. Um, yes. But but let's let's get people grounded a little bit. Um, technology is such a broad topic. It um, is. So, in our context, um, what a, what does a technology company mean to us here at Three Pillar? Yeah, and it's funny you ask. Even even today, uh, I joked with some of the other practice leads that. Every company at Three Pillar that we work with is a technology company. I got a lot of side looks um, that maybe that wasn't the case, but I, I tried to define it. So <laughs> they're probably worried that you're coming after their revenue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I did try to define it, but I'll I'll actually put some context to it as well. So I wrote down exactly what I, I thought. So I said, you know, within Three Pillar, a technology company is a company that produces products or services that were related to IT, digital, or electronic areas to help their customers. So Again, I stopped there and I go, that's still pretty broad. Um, granted, yeah. really, really broad. So I thought I'd, I'd share some specific examples of clients that we work with that, that fall into that bucket and, and why it's sort of an interesting space. So the first one I wrote down was we, we work with quite a few cybersecurity companies looking mm-hmm. to protect your digital assets. So that's, that's one area. We work with a water technology company, which is new to me, but heavily involved in technology in terms of cleaning, uh, water management, mm-hmm. you know working with the scarcity of water and, and how to how to help organizations or, or municipalities manage that. That's one area. We also work with a pet tech company. So they leverage technology to help you walk your dog or clean your dog or pet sit your dog or do whatever you do with your dog um, and the whole life cycle of that. Um, the final one I wrote down just to just to throw out a, a, a left field company as well is what I would call an end-to-end home relocation and moving company. So starting with inspection all the way to you've moved into your new home and need utilities. Mm-hmm. So you go, man, cyber, water technology, pet tech, and home relocation. Those are all tech companies? And I say, mm-hmm. yes, they absolutely are because it goes back to my de- definition before. But they're also, you know, it's a really both exciting exciting industry because that you know technology is is going to be at the forefront but also a very um dangerous i don't i don't know the word i would use because you're, you're always having to innovate and we'll, we'll talk about mm-hmm. that over the next you know 30 minutes or so but always on the bleeding edge always having to innovate uh but at the end leveraging technology to show value to their their clients and customers Mm-hmm. Very central to their to their business yep. strategy. Yes, um, not not ancillary. So yeah, that's a, that's interesting. Um, so within that space, where do yep. you see some of the biggest opportunities emerging? Yeah, a lot. Um, and 
I think that's going to be the common theme with technology is forefront, a lot, uh, exciting. These are all words that are going to come up a lot. So the, mm. the first one I, I look at is data. Mm. Data um, seems to be a common theme with a lot of our uh, clients that we work with. They are generating new revenue streams through data. Uh, mm. They see it as their biggest competitive differentiator. Lots of M&A, lots of systems being produced with a lot of data that aren't talking and disparate, unstructured data. What yeah. do you do with that? How do you how do you make that into uh, a profit center for either your clients or even within your own organization? So that, that's the first. Data is just, it's everywhere. Um, it's probably within other industries as well, but specifically technology. Well, and and before you go on on your list, I think there's something that's really worth pointing out to our listeners, which is which is an insight where we launched a, a data engineering offering um, just last yep. week, and and um, one of the things that I observed in my many years here at Three Pillar is is you really have to appreciate that data engineering and software engineering are different crafts. Yes, um, yes. data engine and the the really hard thing is they don't train a lot of data engineers. A lot of data engineers are former software engineers that converted, um, but the fact is is that the cloud tool sets, um, the scripts. The, 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 the tools um, of the trade for data engineering have shifted so much recently that you're not going to be able to hire somebody with 10 years of experience that's, that's right. necessarily that relevant, matters. right? So you, you really want them to be up on new tools. They're constantly experimenting. Um, it, it really is an interesting and dynamic space. And we, we've had some really, we've backed into some really great yeah. um, examples of, of you doing data, data engineering here at 3Pillar. And now we're really investing in it as a, as a practice, as a craft. Um, yeah. And and that's it's really exciting because I think it's sorely needed. Absolutely. Um, I know. Uh, I it need it to sort of reminds me of when you're on LinkedIn and someone says, I just saw a job opening for 10 years of experience of this this technology that I created five years ago. Right. So I would love <laughs> to meet that person. It happens all the person. time. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to meet that person. So yeah, data. Ahead of yeah. their time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so data, data obviously is a is a huge uh, area of focus, specifically for for three pillar, but for our clients as well, and why we're investing. Yeah. Uh, the next, and, and we'll probably talk about this a little later, but is is AI again a very broad topic? But you know, I look at some of the use cases that are that are starting to pop up, and and three pillar is also created a, a, an offering around this as well. But um, automation. Uh, machine mm-hmm. learning, you know, some very specific use cases for chat boxes or customer service or, or just essentially making quick wins to make your website better uh, for your customers. I mean, these these types of POCs and ideas are coming up by the second, you know, so mm-hmm. it's it's a really exciting time. And I, and I go back to why are these themes? Well, data is the same way. It's it's another revenue stream. It's another way to differentiate yourself to make sure you're competitive that you're that you're breaking away or, or even keeping ahead of your competition. Mm-hmm. Well, and I always love too, like a portfolio approach to value, right? So you maybe have a really valuable software tool, but if you're able to actually then also generate value from the data, that that is a really great double double win, right? And yep. so whether that's directly reinforcing your data is then influencing the software and the, the product um, or service itself, or it's an it's a different revenue stream off of the same Absolutely. same ecosystem. Um, but but that I mean, as I say that, I can also s- highlight so many challenges and threats. So yeah. so on that note, like, what are some of the biggest threats and challenges yeah. that you're seeing? Well, it's interesting because I had you know I, I was I was preparing, and I said you know challenge threat. I'm in I'm in a sales mindset, sales sort of role. So I see those as the same sometimes. You know, opportunities and threats. And 
I have two that are opportunities, but one I, I saw as between the opportunity threat and, and that's security. Mm-hmm. Um, you take data, AI, trust, <laughs> you take all these things and, um, you know, actually I, I'm on a call later today with an organization and the creepy factor of a robotics firm looking to drive AI. That's a real thing. That's, that is not the first time I've heard creepy as a technical term. Um, so dealing with that. It's right up there with the hallucination. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but I see it as, as an opportunity, again, going back to organizations are, are, are looking to um, you know, keep ahead. If you're working with other organization, having certain protocols in place to do so. But also, I see it as a risk because um, with all of that, you know, the you're opening yourself to a ton of challenges, um, keeping up with privacy regula- uh, regulation. I, I mean, it's it's constantly changing and, and really having the right people to help you do that. It's it's really, really tough because it's it's every day, every week, every month. It's, it's something new. Yeah. Well, and, and one of the things that uh, that I think uh, is a is a comparative advantage for us is really focusing on hygiene. Because yep. it, it takes, I mean, I, and I, I like to use the car metaphor. If I lock three doors in my car and leave the fourth one open, my car's not right. locked. Right. Um, right. And it turns out in software, there's a hundred things that can go wrong. So I need a hundred things to go right in order to be secure. Um, it only takes one, one vulnerability to, to be exploited. And it doesn't matter about that you did 99 out of the things. Yeah. Um, and so that, that kind point. of security hygiene, building that into your process at the lowest levels of your organization. Um, not just in your CISO, you know, whatever that yep. that that discipline that comes with producing new value, new features, but mm-hmm. keeping maintaining that security posture. It's a tricky thing to do. And it, it and, is. Uh, I'm really excited about the work that we've done to to sort of highlight how different techniques that you can use to to help you sleep better at night, because, it's, yeah, it, you're, it, you know, developers now are a command away from re- revealing, you know, a ton of data. Right. Um, we, we work with a a very, very large uh, security firm that 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 question there is what they're always r- wrangling with in terms of how their customers work with them. So it, it is product parity. So we have all these security, you know, products, how do we how do we align them and make them really useful? And you can go from one to the other really quickly. Mm-hmm. But how do we how do we tackle security without making people just not do the thing? So we want you to perform said task, but we don't want you to feel cumbersome, you know, or, or feel the pain of going through that without actually doing it. Like we want you to do the thing, but in a safe way. So what's the balance there? And it, right. it's a perennial challenge. It's one that, you know, whether you're a small organization or a $50 billion organization, it's, it's still the same thing, which is a, a an interesting concept. Yeah, totally. Well, and that's where I got turned on to this term of security hygiene. Yep. Um, how do I, you know, teach at the, the lowest levels of my organization, just good practices so that, yep. We decrease our chances of introducing a vulnerability inadvertently. Yep. Um, that we're not just drifting in between audits. Um, you know, <laughs> certainly we recommend audits, third-party audits as a sure. as a practice. But um, the but the yeah, other it, yeah, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say that hygiene component really yep. caught my eye because yeah, I've had a lot of engineers that I've worked with over the years that don't they just don't have that perspective. They don't know no. how. Um, but it, you know, I always like to say if you value security or quality in general, I can teach you how. Yeah. If you don't value it, I can't do anything with you it's, with it's it. It's a mindset and for sure. Absolutely. And, and and I think that's also part of the culture of craftsmanship here has been hiring for value. Like what what do you what do you value as an engineer 
I can teach you all the techniques. Don't even worry about that. Yep. But I need to try to out um, what what gets you excited about doing engineering. If yep. hacking things is what you like doing, this is not a great environment for you because um, we need to be predictable and, and repeatable and yep. short, medium and long term ROI, not just a new feature. The um, I had two other, I don't know, areas of, of threat um, that I think, again, I mean, you could look at other industries as well, but I think are especially heightened within the tech sector. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll speak to those. So the first is just keeping up. Hmm. Technology, by, we're, we're in the technology sector. So by very nature, it's going to be ahead of the curve, coming up with innovation. And time and time again, we see clients within our sector going, man, like $50 billion company I just mentioned, if we don't, there are, there are $1 million companies doing innovative things that are going to overtake our market share. So how do how do we continue to do that? It's a never-ending process. The the eyes are almost always on you to be better at all times because of the very sector that you're in and 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 then they start to look at other sectors. So, you know, if you know, I'm on my banking app and it's seamless, I expect my B2B website to be seamless. And it's mm-hmm. it's these expectations that are that are just constant. And so keeping up with that, fighting off competition, regardless of the size and, and fighting, you know, just customer churn in that it's, it's, I think heightened more within the tech sector because of those, because of those factors. So that, that, that is one, I, I'd love to hear if, if you're on board with that. I mean, probably on board, but put to the level I am. Oh, totally. I mean, I, I've, I've spoken to a number of, uh, of CEOs and leaders at, at, Fortune, other Fortune 100 companies. I worked inside one, and and to hear the just very real angst about, you know, two guys in an AWS account, <laughs> you know, and yep. and just in their minds, they were like, "Wow, these are massive threats." I was like, wow, "You're a, a ten billion dollar a year company in revenue yep. run rate. Like, you're really scared of of these these <laughs> yes. bit tool players." And and it's like, yeah, because they can they can hyperscale um, right. using the cloud and so forth. So all they have to do is figure out a niche of the market that's right. that we haven't thought of. You know, and yeah, it's it's tricky. And I think in technology companies that are particularly susceptible to the FOMO, right? The, well, they're doing this, you know, should we be afraid? And that that can motivate a lot of emotional decision-making. So I think you oh, have to have a, absolutely. a really strong leadership team, which only gets harder when you have such a big company, right? Yep. Um, so yep. yeah, no, I think it's a it's a very real challenge. You got, yep. you, you got a lot of people chasing squirrels. Um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, um, you can make a lot of bad bad investment decisions. Um, my next uh, my next rock band will be named FOMO and Chasing Squirrels. <laughs> the the other really quick point that I would make, and again, not industry agnostic, but certainly within technology, is just talent keeping up, mm. keeping talent. Um, again, I go back to where I get my news. I guess it's LinkedIn. Um, seeing you know job offers for. $800,000 for this new role that I didn't even know existed two months ago. You know, right. This right. is a very real thing. And, and, you know, I go back to if you're working for a technology company by very nature, you're probably into technology. You're probably bleeding edge, cutting edge, looking at, at bigger, better, faster. So it's, it's just hard to a keep up with those skill sets, but B keep people even engaged within your own organization. If you're not doing those types of things. So it's, that's right. It's, it's a, it's a real challenge and I'm sure it is in others, but especially within, within technology. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, they, they, they have options. They have a lot of options and those options are lucrative. So yes. yeah. Thinking about what your employee, uh, employer brand proposition is, is, uh, is because it is tricky stuff. 
Um, it is tricky. Because there is a lot of work that's just like not that interesting tied to technology, you know, and, and you have to combine that with the really fun stuff. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah. Interesting. It is. So, you know, one of the things that we talked about as we were prepping for the for this episode was um, talking about agility and and how you can only really get value if you know your customer better than your competitors. That yep. is that is the quintessential, you know, if we're going to talk about continuous learning and and replanning and, and managing that change, which is what Agile allows us to do. So without giving away our secret sauce, of course, um, <laughs> how do you see our clients getting to know their customers better than their competition? What are some things they're doing? Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot. And I go back to this question. There's a reason why you're asking. It's tough. It's really, really tough. And, and the reason why is, you know, keeping ahead of the changing customer expectations is it's just exasperating. It's getting quicker. It's getting harder uh, with the changes in technology. But but I do go back to a central theme that our clients who are are doing this really well are doing, which is which is investing in the data. And not just the data itself, but everything that goes into that. Um, a really good example, we have an organization we work with, in my opinion, um, cutting edge in, in a lot of ways, but the industry specifically is maybe maybe a little dull even. I don't know. It's, it's, it's pretty normal. Mm-hmm. Um, but within that, what they're doing to keep ahead of their competition, they, they essentially help with the life cycle of certain activities. Uh, I think I mentioned, mentioned it before uh, around home buying and, and moving, et cetera, which, Scott, I believe you're going through right now. Um, so I'll, yes. I'll, I'll give you their referral, <laughs> but within that, within that, within that whole life cycle, they are, they are getting to know their customers from the beginning of that stage all the way to the end. And within each stage, more data is collected, more, uh, understanding of the customer being proactive about what that next stage is and being in front of the customer at the right time with the right value proposition. Mm. It is, it is absolutely their competitive advantage has actually led to them creating, um, you know, specific product lines and revenue lines that didn't exist before because they said, man, we actually are ahead of the game in insurance, just as an example, because mm-hmm. we have all this moving ahead and we can actually provide a really great value proposition in a very commoditized world <laughs> mm-hmm. because we already have the, the data going in. And, and to me, it, it, it's hard. They're, they struggle with it. Uh, others struggle with it. But it really comes back to what they see as their competitive differentiation, which is how do we have the data? How do we collect it? How do we, um, you know, put it in a form that is usable? Mm-hmm. And um, the ones who do that really well, that's how that's and they and they constantly iterate on that. Those are the ones that are going to be successful and, and really know their customers. Well, and, and one thing that you that in your example you highlight that is a little bit subtle is there's the data, which is the quantitative piece and yep. the behavioral piece, and then there's the qualitative piece. And it sounds like this customer has, or this client of ours has both the qualitative, like they they're they're working with these clients, right? So they they understand the why behind the data. Yep. That's really key, I think. And a lot of companies miss that. They think they can just analyze their data, have insights, and and then drive business value. You got to have that qualitative, like again, getting getting your timing right, understanding uh, buyer motivation. Yep. Um, if you can understand those points of struggle and what they're looking for, what they're afraid of, you know, those kinds of things, and combine that with the behavioral data that you're seeing, like oh, yep. there's a pattern here, something happens right here, but we just don't know what it is. Yep. But that quant and qual together is is incredibly powerful. Holy grail, and yep. and. The other the other piece that goes along with that is you might have your holy grail, but if you don't keep iterating upon that, your holy grail is old and yep. stagnant and not useful. So yep. 
it's it's a constant process, you know, and you, you really have to have uh, investment and dedication and and buy in from executives to do that, um, which is which is a whole game in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's where, you know, you work with someone like three pillar or uh, other organizations to help build out that case and show those use cases because they're there. That's right. um, and certainly we have we've seen success after success doing that. Um, but but it's a process for sure. Yeah. Well, it's it's fascinating if you think about something like uh, QR codes and just to highlight your example, right? QR codes yeah. were dead. Right. Um, I, w- I was told like two decades ago, QR codes are the future. And I was like, mm, I don't think so. Yep. I don't think anybody wants to learn how to use QR codes. Um, it took a pandemic, but now we all of our phones have been modified oh. so that our cameras, yep. you know, no opt to download, no nothing. How so do you order food at a restaurant? That's the only way now. User so. behavior has been shifted for possibly forever. Yep. Um, and, yep. uh, and a new piece of technology has invaded our lives. So yeah, yeah. You get, if you don't pay attention, you can, you can miss out on those, uh, yeah. those shifting expectations. Yeah. So we're here on the innovation engine. So it'd be uh, crazy not to ask, what are some things that you're seeing without, obviously without violating any NDAs, sure. but what are some truly innovative things that you're seeing uh, from our clients? Yeah. And, and it's tough without giving away the sauce. Um, <laughs> But certainly, um, you know, I'll, I'll I'll take a couple. So one, you know, I take a a organization like a water technology company, which you go water. It's a <laughs> like I take a boring concept, water, boring. Yeah, may not be boring to some. For me, it's not what I'm reading about every day. But I will say <laughs> what we're working with around sensors, hmm. around innovation within just overall. How do you manage water better in a scarce environment hmm. around uh, geographies and locations that are dealing with water scarcity, but also the the, the cleanliness of water? Hmm. It is really interesting. And once you once you sort of peel the onion back, and and we've done a couple of great things. I go back to sensors, and these sensors that we're working on are absolutely critical in how organizations manage municipalities or, or other organizations or other other governments manage mm. this scarce resource. And I, and I go to, you know, countries or, or, or areas that that are are really struggling with that. I think the innovation we're doing is great. I think I think it's cutting edge. I think it does all these things. But I also look at the value that it provides to these places. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're really here for. I mean, the technology is a little bit of a means to the end. Right. And it is amazing the data around cleanliness of water, water saved, all these management metrics around water. Mm-hmm. I am now geeking out on water because <laughs> I am just so interested that this is a world that I had never known. And I, I go back to where Three Pillar has supported and, and it really is around the innovation within that from day one and how we've been able to, you know, help them with, you know, very basic engineering concepts and, and base level stuff. But now we're moving into, you know, we're starting, literally, we're going to be having a conversation around AI. You're like, mate, AI mm-hmm. and water. What the heck are you guys talking about? <laughs> you will be surprised. And it yeah. is amazing. And it and really it comes back down to, you know, the overall value that, you know, this organization is providing to its constituents because it's it's really amazing. And and honestly, it just makes us proud to work for something like that, you know, because we know we are making a difference, as cliche as that sounds. Well, it's it's kind of funny. You remind me that you know when you study economics, one of the one of the classic things they talk about is why do diamonds cost what they cost, and why does water cost right. what it costs? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and and of course, you know the 
uh, supply demand does not support either yeah. pricing. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's a classic example of market breakdown where the market does not price based on supply and demand. Um, the, the other the other chart I always see is the price of TVs and the price of college. Like <laughs> that's the other one. I'm like, it's funny because we just broke a TV. It's sitting right over here. My, well, I say we, my four year old broke a TV. Right. <laughs> and the funny thing is, we had another TV just to just to put it up there. Like we just had another TV because they're so cheap now. And I'm like. Can we switch this with the cost of college? This doesn't make sense. But water yeah. is very similar. So yeah, yeah, no, very, very interesting. All right, so we we uh, we need to wrap up, and yeah, uh, yeah, I absolutely. wanted to close out with a little speed round. You ready? Yes. All right. One to two books that stand out as influential to you in your career. This will be a shout out to my former company, but two books: Challenger Sale, Connector Manager. Challenger Sale because mm-hmm. it uh, actually my old boss is. There's a footnote somewhere in there. She always brought it up. I always thought that was great. But it's really helped me just from a uh, approach to client interactions from maybe more of a sales approach to truly an advisor, an expert, uh, a partner. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think that's really helped me. Uh, I would highly recommend it. And then the other is a connector manager also by uh, Gartner, uh, formerly CEB. But as I've moved into management, it's allowed me to be a better manager because I think early managers struggle with scale and trying to know everything. And this yeah. helps with that and actually That's provides right. examples of how to do that better and get more yeah. out of it. So challenger sale connector manager have been pretty, pretty influential in, in terms of my career. Two, two great choices. Um, I've, I've read the, I've read the first one challenger sale and yep. um, the connector stuff. I mostly got through HBR. Um, yeah, they, yeah. They did quite a bit there. of stuff on it. Um, yeah. You know, I, I Good say concept. I read it. I probably got a lot of it through HBR as well, but that, <laughs> I, I do have the book sitting here, so I think I read it. So <laughs> fair enough. We'll count it. Yeah. Um, if you have it physically on your shelf, you're definitely there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've definitely read everything I have. Snowboard, raft, or hike? What order? Raft, hike, snowboard. Uh, love water. Love. Okay extreme things except for heights so i think we're good there hiking i do it anyway uh love nature seems pretty easy snowboarding i would have said i would have moved it up if it was skiing i'm more of a skier than a snowboarder um snowboarding was very very difficult for me for some odd reason and i haven't gone back so rafting hiking snowboarding okay so skiing would have made it a tougher choice that's interesting yeah i don't i think i would have I think I would have put it in between rafting and hiking. I, I like rafting. I like water stuff. So yeah, yeah. I've only been once, but I loved it. Um, what, what, what really quickly? What would be your number one on that list? Um, snowboarding, rafting, hiking. I don't like hiking. Um, I tried to get into nature, and believe me, I have tried. I read Walden Pond. I've done. I've done everything <laughs> I can do to try to make myself like enjoy nature more. But I mostly just see bugs and uh, discomfort. So you know, it makes it worse when you're walking with a four year old. It, it makes it. <laughs> So much worse. Anyway, <laughs> that said, I yes. did learn to uh, to enjoy hiking in Colorado when I lived in Boulder. The yeah. flat irons were it was it was gorgeous. I appreciated yeah, it, absolutely. and then I went back inside. Um, <laughs> they didn't have AC out there. It was cool. I really like screened in porches. Anyways, um, <laughs> as close as I want to get. Yeah, there you go. Um, last one. Um, yep. And your LinkedIn, uh, you have a couple of really interesting uh, descriptors. One father of four. Yep, I'm sure that that's that's. A lot right there, but T-ball coach in residence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How is T-ball going? And any lessons? Really good question. Um, So I think I wrote that when I was coaching my son last year. We moved into the fall. T-ball season went great. Honestly, it went really, really, really well. I, I feel like we, they didn't have a championship or anything, but 
I'll, I'll actually take that because um, I've noticed in my career. So I have four year old all the way to ten year old, and my nine and ten year old. I'm I'm starting to know or realize like there's a level of my um, coaching ability, and it's around nine or ten when I become very ineffective at coaching them because mm. they're either better than me or they are looking to get more out of me or I'm just too busy. I don't know. So I, I'm really excited because this upcoming fall, I'm moving into coaching my my four-year-old soccer team, which is doesn't sound fun. It definitely could not be fun in many cases, but I'm really excited to get back down to a level that uh, is probably more my mindset. So four-year-old well, soccer is my new jam. I'll, I'll have to well, update when I uh, when I joined Three Pillar, um, interestingly enough, I was coaching soccer, my son's soccer team. Oh, nice. and one of my concerns in joining was, I was like, I, I need to make sure I keep my my yeah. coaching schedule. Um, and uh, and David Wolf was like, I have eight kids. I have seven kids. Yeah. At the time, he had seven. He didn't have eight yet. Um, he's like, trust me, I get it. <laughs> and I'll, I'll support you. It's a lot of like, kids. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think four is a lot, but. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think, no, so, I think four is yeah, a lot. I, I, got, will... I got two. I'm, I'm good. And that's that's a lot. That's they're all a lot, uh, to be quite honest. But uh, yeah, I'll keep you posted on the uh, four-year-old soccer team. I, I think that's my niche. I think that's my my glory. Well, and I, I'm excited to uh, for you to because I, I certainly got a lot of lessons in high-performing teams because um, yes, they're so yes. ra- they're so raw. Um, but <laughs> getting this idea of a common outcome and um, and uh, and what they can do to help each other achieve that outcome it's it's a it's a fascinating yeah. process to take them through and uh, good lessons Great. for us uh, here at Three Pillar. So. Yeah. Absolutely. All well, right. It's been great, Scott. I appreciate it. Yeah, same here. Great, great stuff. And, uh, and look forward to talking to you soon. Yep. Sounds good. This has been an episode of The Innovation Engine, a podcast from 3Pillar Global. 3Pillar is a digital product development and innovation partner that helps companies compete and win in the digital economy. To learn more about 3Pillar Global and how we can help you, visit our website at 3PillarGlobal.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time.